Would you turn your Bible, please, to Revelation chapters 4 and 5, and also Matthew chapter 6. These three chapters from which we want to read just a little bit this morning. I'm going to begin with Matthew 6 and then go to Revelation. Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 25. The subject this morning is how can we win over worry and anxiety in light of the songs of heaven. Therefore I say unto you, be not anxious for your life, what ye shall eat, nor what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than food, and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why are you anxious for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto thee that even Solomon, in all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or with what shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the ethnos, or the nations, or the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of these things, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Be therefore not anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious about the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is its own evil. Today, I suppose we could class this age as an age of worry, fear, anxiety. Doctors' offices are filled many times not with people who have organic illnesses, but mental anxieties and worries and fears and phobias. We're a nation that wrings its hands and pulls its hair and walks the floor at night. We take pills to help us sleep and pills to help us wake up and pills to help us go. We're an age of worry. And yet Jesus said, be not anxious about the things you wear or the things you eat or the house you live in. If God could take care of the lilies of the field and the grass of the field, and God can take care of the animals and the birds, can he not take care of you and me? His eye is on the sparrow and I know he cares for me. And indeed, when we come to know the Lord Jesus as personal Savior, we're standing on holy ground. It's the holy ground of trust, of faith, of confidence. And with all the things we have to worry about, and 
we'd have to be out of our minds to say there aren't some things to worry about. 123 million churchgoers in the United States more than ever before, an increase of 22% in one year, but crime increased 7% the same year. Illegitimacy increasing 100%. Pornography, a $200 million a year business, multiplied four times in two years. Venereal disease and AIDS increased 400% in 10 years, 72% in one year. Our crime bill, $20 billion a year. We combine all of our churches and synagogues and temples and the money we give to gamblers is greater than money given to all of these put together. Ours is the most civilized, most Christianized nation on earth, yet 37 million of our young people receive absolutely no religious instruction. There are some reasons to worry. In some U.S. cities, having a Bible study in your home is against the law. Witchcraft rituals that are sexually perverse and bloody are now protected by the law. With kiddie pornography on the rise, one extremist group is calling for the age of sexual consent to be lowered to four years of age. Public tax money is supporting an annual dance festival consisting consistently featuring total nudity. Prostitution is being claimed as a woman's legal right by the National Organization for Women in New York State. Well, I won't go on with all those lurid statistics, but we can see there are reasons why people worry. Vance Havner used to say, no nation is richer or healthier than its soul. By that standard, America is a sick land an age that blames its sin on society instead of itself. Fed on movies from the gutter, reared on music apes would be ashamed of with a code of of morals that eclipses Sodom and Gomorrah, where only one out of 12 goes to church, where 15 million sex magazines are read every month by one third of the people. More barmaids than college girls, three times as many criminals as college students, a murder every 40 minutes, a major crime every 22 seconds. Yeah, we have a lot to worry about. And if we allow ourselves to worry and be anxious over all these statistics, we'll be candidates for insane asylums. Or we'll spend the rest of our lives like one lady that I knew a few years ago said, I just want to go in my house and pull down all the shades and close the door and never answer the doorbell, never, let the, never answer the telephone, just lie here in darkness, so depressed. Well, Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. I think perhaps... One of the best ways to understand that verse is to turn to Revelation chapters 4 and 5 and see what happens when a believer gets home. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. Our treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. 
The angels beckon me from heaven's open door and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. And let me hasten to say, lest someone should say, well, you believers, you Christians are always talking about a piece of pie in the sky when you die by and by. And uh, there's really nothing so wrong with that. But it is that blessed hope that has enabled God's people for 2,000 years to make a mark in the world in which we live. Certainly we're going to heaven one day if we're saved. But thinking about heaven and thinking of all the victories of heaven will enable us to live secure lives right here. We do not have to wait till heaven to have the security of Christ abiding in our lives and giving us that faith to face the hurdles day by day. In Revelation chapter four, <clears throat> I believe, and I take this first verse to speak of the rapture. In our study of Revelation, we have gone through chapter one, the vision of the glorified Christ. The last view the world had of Jesus was on a cross <clears throat> in shame, in agony, bloody, blood dripping down from the cross, a crown of thorns on his brow, stripped naked, crucified before all the rabble of Jerusalem. And they passed by and mocked him. And some said, if you're really the Christ, come down and save yourself and us. That's the last view the world had of Jesus. He died. Now, believers know that three days later he was raised from the grave. But interestingly enough, the world didn't see that. In the record of the scripture, the only people that saw the resurrected Christ were believers. He was seen by 500 at one time. He was seen by James. He was seen by Peter. He was seen by the women. And, and through the years, he has seen by faith. He has been seen by faith by everyone who has come to Christ. But the world still thinks that's strange. And so in Revelation chapter 1, God said, John... I want you to write the vision of the glorified Christ and let everybody see it. It is the Christ of power, the Christ of victory, the Christ of joy, the Christ of assurance. And then he said, I want you to write the things which are, chapters two and three, the church age, the seven churches, and we studied that in our, in our study of Revelation the church at Ephesus that had left its first love, the church at Smyrna that was under severe persecution, the church at Thyatira and Pergamos who were involved in false doctrine and false teaching and false living, the church at Sardis that had a name that it was alive but it was really dead, the church at Philadelphia, a church with a wide open door, a green light, and God said, I've given you entrance. No one can shut the door. And then the church at Laodicea, perhaps our present day description, a church that is lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. And Jesus said, I will spew you out of my mouth because you're neither hot nor cold. And the Lord said, John, now you write those, those seven churches. And remember that they are examples of churches that were real in the day in which John wrote. They are also examples of churches all through the ages. In every age, there will be churches just like those seven churches. <coughs> And also, those seven churches are symbols of the church age <coughs> through the ages. 
And perhaps we are indeed living <clears throat> today in the church of Laodicea age, lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. But then the Lord said, uh, John, I want you to write something else. As discouraging and defeating as some of this may be, and with each succeeding generation of Christians, there will be burdens and heartaches and problems and separations and, and, and infidelity and trouble and uh, trouble stacked on top of trouble. And people will be, be wondering what to do about themselves and they'll be climbing the walls and pulling their hair and, and, and walking the floor. <clears throat> John, I want you to write what is going to be the victory in the believer's life. And so he opens chapter four and John said, I, I heard a voice saying, come up here. And I saw a door open in heaven and through that door I went, listen to it. After this I looked and behold a door was opened in heaven and the first voice that I heard was as it were a trumpet talking with me which said, come up here and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the spirit and behold a throne was set in heaven and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like Jasper and a sardis stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like an emerald. And round about the throne were four and 20 thrones. And upon the thrones I saw four and 20 elders clothed in white raiment and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderclaps and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning upon the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne, round about the throne, were four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. And the first living creature like a lion, the second like a calf, the third like a face of a man, and the fourth like a flying eagle. Now, all of these were surrounding the throne of God. And John said, the first thing I saw when I got beyond life, beyond the church age, when I got beyond all the hurdles and the heart heartaches and the problems here, I was entered, I was allowed to enter into the throne room of God. And there was God in all of his glory. And there was a rainbow like a, many prisms and around the throne were all these four and 20 elders and the living creatures and they were praising God. And John said, I heard them singing. Now one of the greatest anecdotes to discouragement is praise and singing. I heard about a doctor, a Christian doctor, who was a Christian psychiatrist and uh, a woman came to him, depressed and discouraged and defeated, and she said, nobody loves me, nobody cares, and uh, I, I have nothing to, nothing to enjoy. I'm just miserable all the time. And uh, the doctor said, uh, you're miserable all the time, all the time, I'm just miserable all the time. Well, the doctor said, I wanna suggest something to you. <laughs> all right, I'll try to do it, what is it? It's a rather strange suggestion. He said, I want you to go home and get you a private mirror and go in a room where nobody can see you and look in that mirror and smile. And just smile. Just look in that mirror and smile. And then think of one thing, maybe just one thing that somebody has done 
that's been a blessing to you. Like your mother brought you into the world. Or you had enough for something to eat this morning. Just one thing. And just smile. I want you to do that three times a day. You come back and see me in a month. Well, when she went back the month later, the doctor noticed she was smiling. And he said, well, how are things going? Well, she said, things have been different. She said, you know, people have been nice to me. And uh, I've met so many people that have been smiling at me. And uh, I've had some friends come and say how much they love me and care for me. The doctor said, you give a smile and you'll receive a smile. Laugh and the world laughs with you. Weep and you weep alone, for this brave old earth must borrow its mirth. It has troubles enough of its own. John said, I was allowed to enter the courtroom of heaven, and I saw what the believer's reward was when it's all over here, when all the heartaches are gone, all the worries and all the frustrations. I entered the throne room and I heard some singing. Listen, I looked across the congregation this morning. The people that were singing had smiles on their faces. When Carol and Janice were singing, I just observed some of the expressions on some people's faces. and You just couldn't help but see there was a smile and a pleasantness and a joy. And when the choir was singing, there was joy. I looked at some others while we were singing the hymns earlier. And they weren't singing, they were chewing their chewing gum. Not a smile on their face at all not entering into it at all. They had no joy at all. I want to tell you, there's joy when you sing. And one of the best anecdotes to the problems of the world is to sing. They used to have a little chorus, sing your troubles away. Night will turn to day. If we sing and sing and sing, we'll sing the clouds away. And in heaven, John said, the first thing I heard was some singing. And here's what they were singing. Verse 8, and the four living creatures, each one of them six wings about him. And they were full of eyes within and they rest not day and night saying, holy, holy, holy Lord God almighty who was and is and is to come. They were blessing the Trinity. They were just singing praises to the Lord God. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. You try singing that frowning. Holy, 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 I'm so mad at the world, nobody loves me. You can't do it, see? You sing praises to the king and there comes joy in your heart. And that's what's gonna happen in heaven. And immediately all of those old things will drop away and fade away and you won't need them anymore. But there was another song. Look in verse 10. The four living creatures fell down before him that is seated on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created. There was a praise to the Creator. They were just praising God because of who he is. Not only for his holiness, but who he is. God is the sovereign of this universe. That means that you're never alone. If his eyes on the sparrow, you know he cares for you. If he can take care of the grass of the field, he can take care of you. The queen of Sheba came to see Solomon and she said, not half has ever been told. And Jesus said, but I want to tell you, 
You look out there at the lilies of the field, they're clothed in greater array than Solomon was. And God does it. They don't toil and spin, worry and wonder. God takes care of them. Be not dismayed, whatever betide, God will take care of you. Now there's another song. John heard it. At first he didn't know whether he got to hear it or not because there was a book with seven seals. We're in chapter five now. And the book was sealed with seven seals and nobody was found worthy to open it. And John sat down to weep because he had been promised that he would see the things that were yet to come. And then somebody touched him on the shoulder and said, John, don't weep. The lion of the tribe of Judah hath prevailed to open the seals and to loose the book. And so the seals were opened. And when the seals were opened, all the glory of God was revealed. And listen to what happened beginning in verse eight. And when he had taken the scroll and the four living creatures and four 20 elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of saints. And they sang a new song saying, thou art worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and hast made us unto our God a kingdom of priests and we shall reign on the earth. Glory, hallelujah, Christ hath set us free. So many times on Sunday night our choir comes in and they begin, glory, hallelujah, Christ hath set me free, da, 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 glory. See, it's something to rejoice about. It's something to sing about. And that's what happened in heaven. John said, I dropped all the problems. And if anybody had a reason to have problems, John did. Listen, every one of the apostles had died a martyr's death. John was the last living one. He was about 95 years old. And he didn't know whether any moment they would come and take him away like they had the others. And John said, I dropped all that insecurity and all those problems and all those heartaches and I was lost in the wonder of heaven and here they were surrounding the throne and he said it was as if I were there and they were singing this four stanza hymn and here's what they were singing thou art worthy to take the scroll and open its seals worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive riches and power and wisdom and glory for thou was slain the second stanza thou was slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation Jesus died on an old rugged cross the old rugged cross does indeed make the difference and when you've been to Jesus for the cleansing power you've been washed in the blood of the lamb how can we dare to say nobody loves me I'm alone my family don't appreciate me I do all this work and nobody even notices it <laughs> Jesus notices it God cares he knows all about the heartaches and the hurts and the frustrations and the fears The redeeming work of Jesus Christ on the cross is the most powerful experience that has ever hit this earth. And it's the most powerful experience that can ever come into your life or my life. I have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, all of my sins are behind me. They've been blotted out. 
God has taken them and put him behind his back. He has put them in the sea of his forgetfulness. How dare we accuse ourselves or accuse another when our sins have been atoned for by the blood of the Lamb of God. One of the most ugly sins that God's people commit, and I'm talking about God's people today, is to remember the iniquities of others against them. Oh yeah, I know what he used to do. I know what she used to do. Yeah, you remember so-and-so, blah, 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 blah. That goes down to the bottom line of gossip. How dare we accuse another saint of God of anything? When you and I have had our sins blotted out by the blood and they're under the blood and they're in the sea of God's forgetfulness and God remembers them against us no more forever. And John said, that was hallelujah grounds. When I heard that stanza, thou hast redeemed us by thy blood out of every tongue and tribe and nation. Hallelujah. And then he said, I heard another stanza. He has made us a kingdom of priests. Verse 10. He has made us a kingdom of priests. What in the world is that? Your Bible may say, he has made us kings and priests. That's a good translation too. You may not look like a king, but you are. Chris, you may not look like a priest, but you are. If you've been redeemed, you're a priest, you're a king. And one day we'll take those crowns and place them at Jesus' feet. We're kings and priests in his sight. And the, perhaps the literal translation would be, we're a kingdom of priests. Now what is a priest supposed to do? A priest talks to God for men. He talks to men for God. And that's what you and I are. We're priests. The reason in Bible-believing churches we don't call our minister a priest is because all of us are priests. If you've been saved, it would be okay to go up and say, Priest Phil, what are we going to do tonight in training union? You say, well, that's rather odd. Nothing odd about that. He's a priest. And so are you. Now, a priest's business is to talk to God and represent people to God but you and I have a high priest. And so we can go directly to the high priest. We don't have to go through Mary. We don't have to go through grandma or grandpa. Or mother, daddy, we go directly to the high priest and we say, Heavenly Father or Lord Jesus, there's nothing wrong with praying to the Heavenly Father. Nothing wrong with praying to the Holy Spirit. There's nothing wrong with praying to the Lord Jesus. They're all three in one. And you and I are priests and we go to God in behalf of others. Those who are sick, those who are sin sick. All the frustrations we have, Lord, I don't think I have enough money to pay my bills this month. I come directly to you. Lord, I need a new bicycle. You mean you can pray something like that? If the bicycle's for the glory of Christ, sure. You can pray about anything. Now, God has three answers. Yes, no, and wait. 
He may not always say yes today. He may say, wait a while. When I first uh, surrendered to preach, I needed a car. I prayed, Lord, let me have a car. I got a job, and I didn't get, make enough money to get a car. I rode a bus to the first church where I was serving down in Savannah, Tennessee. But I kept on praying, Lord, I need a car. And as if the Lord said, wait, you don't need it yet. You don't need it yet. And after a while, one Monday morning after an evening service, one of our men, Mr. Garrett, called me and said, my wife and I want to meet you downtown. Now, downtown in Savannah wasn't a very much big town, but it was down where the used car lots were. And I said, I want to meet you at such and such a place. I went down there, and they had chosen a car. They gave me the keys to it and said, here, this is the car the Lord laid it on our hearts. You think God's not able to meet needs? He is. I was a student at Union University. Had a deep need in my life to pay a $5 bill. Back in those days, that was, that was considerable amount of money for a student that didn't have anything. I worked my way through college washing dishes. I'm a pretty good dishwasher. I've been in some of your homes, you know that, if you'd let me. Anyway, I was going to school that morning about five o'clock in the morning. It was raining and I was looking down and a little bit depressed. I'd prayed that the Lord give me that $5 if I had to have it that day. And I came to the street just before the school, right adjacent to the school, and I saw something green on the street. I reached down and picked it up. It was a $5 bill. Well, I went into the cafeteria where I worked, and I, I said to everybody in there, is anybody, now you don't usually do this. You say, has anybody lost any money? Well, what is it? What's the serial number? So on, all that kind of stuff. But I was so dumb, I said, has anybody lost a $5 bill? Here it is. And I couldn't find anybody that lost it. I had several people that came in to eat breakfast that morning. Nobody lost it. I went alone by myself. I said, God, I accept this as from you to meet that need today. Do you think God can't meet needs? John said, we're priests. We can go directly to the throne of God through the, through the high priest. And whatever the need is, if it's a genuine, real need, God can say yes, or God can say no, or God can say wait. John said, that really blessed my heart when I found out what it's going to be like over in heaven and that already he has made us a kingdom of priests right here. And we can pray for others who need Jesus. We can pray for our missionaries on foreign fields and the power of prayer can be felt around the world. And then he said one more, there was one more stanza. He said, and we shall reign on the earth. <laughs> All this in heaven too. He said, we shall reign on the earth. We're going to reign as kings and priests with our Lord forever and forever and forever. And John said, why should I be discouraged? His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he cares for me. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that we have a heavenly Father that cares. 
The real answer for anxiety and fear and worry is to look up and know that our redemption draweth nigh, that Jesus cares, and he's able to meet every need. We pray that somebody here today who has never been saved will come to know Christ. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.